Listeners, we would like to thank our supporters on Patreon. That is Nick, Justin, Matt, Matt, Teddy, Paul, Grace, Alex, Rebecca, Sam, and Annalise. Thank you for your money. We are using it to try to be better people. Doing our best. We're doing our best. You know, I just rewatched the first three Matrix movies with my sister-in-law who'd never seen them. Yeah. And uh, Emily, Emily's response was, so Neo... You know, the chosen one. I'm like, yep. And the spoon metaphor from the first movie, right? Like, don't try to bend the spoon. Only realize the truth that there is no spoon. I'm like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and Emily's like, okay, well, then how come Neo doesn't just, you know, pillar of salt everybody? And I'm like, ah, because this is a bad movie, Emily. <laughs> 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 it's because it's bad. Like, uh, you see, Neo knows that there are no rules, but yet chooses to follow rules anyway, sometimes. <laughs> because there's a necessary narrative structure that doesn't make it a bad movie, that makes it a movie. I mean, okay, whatever you say. I, but I, I've just decided that with The Matrix, like, like, I wish there was one of those characters, like a character in the background who's just a total nihilist like me. Like if I was unplugged, if I was unplugged by the matrix, I'd be like, wait, so there is no God and, and, and Christianity was invented by the matrix, you know? And then I'd be like, okay, well, my new hacker name is going to be Hitler Mussolini. And that's what you're going to call me. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm just going to spend my days asking questions like Morpheus are cheese. It's real. <laughs> <laughs> Morpheus, Morpheus, I have another question. Or like every time, every time Neo does something, I'm gonna be like, "It's the Matrix, baby." <laughs> I'm just what I'm sensing from you is that this like speculative fiction from the '90s, '90s, early 2000s, it just Late does 90s. not. Oh yeah, it just doesn't meet uh, the depths of despair that you have today. <laughs> tank, tank. Download jujitsu, and then I'll be like, Tank, Tank, download rocket launcher arm. And Tank will be like, I can't do that. And then I'll be like, Genuine question, why? Like, why can't you do that? This is all fake. It's all a simulation. Download rocket launcher arm, Tank. (laughs) Come on. Or, or like when the Smiths become too fast in Matrix Reloaded, and I'm like, that should not be possible. Because we've already established that uh, being fast has nothing to do with muscles in the Matrix. And so Neo should just be able to be faster. I don't know why Neo's not like, hey, Link, download super speed. You know, like, come on. Like, this is ridiculous. But I digress. If you've got... <laughs> You've got five dollars or more a month to spare and would like to help us do some fun stuff like make some merch stockpile covid tests pay for airfare to virtual conferences yeah <laughs> i thought that That's last right. one was funny because it's a virtual that is a good one yeah that is a good one i'll never get my money back though you won't. some that's fair. I guess really what we need to do right now is pay for Ethan to have his own platform to write about the lack of nihilism in movies. That's right. It's not that you need more nihilism. You just need nihilism in the Matrix. Oh. <laughs> what other movies could be fixed by nihilism, though? 
Oh, at this point, just the Matrix. Anything by the Wachowskis um, could be fixed with nihilism. Well, okay. Good to know. Hitler, Mussolini, get out of the Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, if you want to help us do any of those things, you can join our supporters over on Patreon at patreon.com slash WTHIAP. You also get access to a Patreon-only podcast feed, which includes bonus content and the Patreon-only podcast that Ian and I record, which is called Pillow Talk. Um, yeah, the snail thing is still the only thing in our future, but uh, there, there might be a Pillow Talk blooper reel if I get my life together between now mm. and when this episode drops. So yeah, keep your eye out for that. It's mostly fart jokes. We just tell a lot of fart jokes. Right. That's funny. I Usually, yeah, they're pretty good. They're pretty good. If you're not in a position to support us financially, there are still ways that you can help us out. You can subscribe to us on the podcasting app of your choice, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, share us on the platform of your choice, or follow us on Twitter or Facebook, or just keep listening because that is good too. That's right. And now on to the show. One, two, five, nine. Robin Breeders, Seven Leader, Rector, Reverend Deacon, Elder, what the hell? Welcome to What the Hell is a Pastor, a podcast about life in set-apart ministry. Each week, we draw on our experiences and challenges as current and former pastors to figure out what the hell it is that pastors do and how to do it as best we can. Um, so Ethan, tell me about your week this week. Been, been shitty. Oh my. <laughs> That's what <laughs> I've gathered. <laughs> hasn't been great. Um... The conference got canceled because of COVID. And so now I'm sort of going to need to be calling American Airlines and the hotel and try to get refunds and stuff like that, which is a pain. But now I'm also trying to figure out what my next step's going to be for this, how I'm going to do virtual stuff. I'm considering, I don't know, I have to send some emails and ask some people about that because. Some bad things have come up at the church that I now have to sort of immediately deal with, which is a giant pain in the ass. I do not want to deal with it, but here we are. Um, <laughs> here we are. Uh, so, but but some uh, kind of crazy things going on at the church, folks. Um, there is so prior to my arrival there was a music minister at the church who, from what I understand, um, I've actually met her, but from what I understand while she was at the church had a, a very strong personality and a, a cult following. And I don't mean cult. I, that's kind of a bad way of putting it. Like, I don't mean like, like, like folks really liked her. Plenty of people really liked her. Okay. And, um, and, I get I get bits and pieces of the story of her time there from lots of different people, and and there's some things that make sense to me, and then there's some parts of her story that make very little sense to me. But basically, what happened was she left after my predecessor arrived, like my immediate predecessor, and she is now a pastor in this non-denominational church in the town over. It's a small church, you know, and she's she she does pastor stuff and things like that. Well, I just found out 
um, a couple of days ago something that I had sort of suspected. We have a key problem at the one church where there's like 40 keys to the church out. Right. Small business owners have keys to the church. Like, it's just really bad. And this woman, Anna, let's call her Anna. Um, Anna, uh, well, we knew that Anna had keys to the church. We knew that she hadn't brought them back. And I had been pretty sure over the last couple of months that somebody like her had been going in and out of the church at night. Okay. We would come in, like Colette, my office administrator, and I would come in, and different different doors would be unlocked that we know we locked, you know, like on Sunday. Um, things would just be in the wrong place. Like, like it was just weird. And I was pretty sure it was um, somebody like Anna. Didn't have to necessarily be Anna, but it was somebody like Anna, somebody who wasn't really connected to the church anymore, who still had copies of the keys, mostly because nobody had come and said it was them who left the door unlocked, you know, or, or like, nope, nobody had answered the call, right? Like nobody said, Oh, yep. I goofed, you know? And so like, I had to assume it was somebody like that. Why I got information that, that this woman, uh, Anna, um, had been caught using the church sanctuary um, for like piano practice, like, and had bringing brought people from her church into the, to our church and was doing stuff like that. Had been in the office, like Colette's office, going through files and had been in our mail, going through our mail, like. Well, like I can understand the maybe not really well, but I could understand using the piano for piano practice. You should have asked, you didn't, but like we can deal with that. But going through documents and going through the mail, I like I don't I don't understand what's up about that. So I have some theories there. So there are parts of the story, like I said, that that I I still struggle to understand. Um, and I'm sure you will see why. So like one of the reasons why Anna left the church after my predecessor Penny showed up is because, and I got this from lots of different people at the church, in, including her, is because she really wanted to be the pastor of this church and she got a lot of support for it. Um, is is she a candidate for ministry? Is she in the process at all? No, no, not at all. Okay. And this is this is the part of the story that is really baffling to me because, because at first I thought it was nonsense. Like somebody had mentioned it to me months ago and I was like, oh, that's nonsense. You know, that can't possibly be it. That can't possibly be the reason. No, it's definitely the reason. It's definitely the reason. I've got it confirmed by lots of sources. Like, she and many folks at this church were really pushing for her to become the pastor and were very disappointed when Penny was appointed and not her. And, and I'm, and I'm still racking my brain to figure out how this was possible. And I actually just, I was just in a meeting before talking to you, Joe, like, where I was, where I was getting more information from different witnesses, where I had to explain that, like, 
there is no scenario in which Anna is a pastor of this church. There, that'll never happen. Like, right. Unless she enters the process and has a conversation, like, uh, I mean, I guess she could be appointed as lay supply and then spend the year getting her stuff together to become a certified candidate. And at the end of that being uh, commissioned as a licensed local pastor, like, there, there is a way to do it. You just have to be in the system in order to do it or just be appointed as lay supply. Like we've seen, we've seen the conference radically misuse lay supply. So like, I guess that's, that is possible, but not just out of the blue. Like, were they having these conversations at all? So no. And remember, like you're even using the language, you're using the language correctly. That's not the way they understood it. Like, Oh, they they didn't they didn't want her to be appointed. They wanted to hire her. They they weren't oh. they weren't they weren't but hurt that she wasn't appointed. Like I guess they were, but like they the will of the church was a lot of powerful people wanted Dana to be pastor, and then when the when the district superintendent and the bishop just didn't go okay, they got mad, you know, like like so. There is no, like, they're not envisioning, you know, a uh, visioning that Anna, why wasn't Anna appointed by the bishop? It was more like, you know, we want Anna. Why aren't you letting us have her? Um, and so that's why she left. So this is, this is it's weird to me. Like, like I, I still don't get it. And I said that again today where I'm like, boy, I still just don't understand the story. Well, I have some more information that's that. That doesn't really, it only complicates it. It's not that it really clarifies it. Okay. So like I know a couple of weeks ago, I started to get more suspicious of, of, of her because um, one of the wealthier people of the church sent Colette an email, Colette, my office administrator, saying we really would like Anna Anna's email address to be put on the prayer request email chain so that Anna gets the prayer requests of our church. Hmm. And Colette's like, Colette calls me. X person wants this to happen. Uh, should I do that? And I'm like, no, <laughs> definitely not. Uh, that doesn't, it's not what we do. Like, we don't just put random people on the email chain. Like we, that's not what happens. Like she's a pastor at another church. Uh, well, that's just not what we do. Oh, okay. Also, these people could forward the emails to her. There's no, like, I assume they're not secure emails in some no. way, shape, or form. Yeah. Uh, no, definitely not. And so um, this woman who asked, this one of the wealthier people of the church who asked Colette or told Colette to do this, came into the church like the next day to do something else. And so I like stopped her. This was a couple of weeks ago. I was like, "Hey, why do you want why do you want Anna to be on the email chain?" Oh, uh, well, um, you know, I she used you know she used to be really an important part of this church. And I'm like, "Yeah, I know, but she's not anymore." Well, you know, I, a lot of us are still friends with her. Well, I think that's really great, but she's not going to be on the email chain. That's what I said. And uh, and then that woman left, and she was very angry. 
the other thing I found out today <laughs> is, is like she's been like Anna Anna's been like you know driving members of the church around and like talking to them about coming to her church and or 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 whatever. Now poaching is not my favorite thing in the world. But it's also like but it primarily it's just that it's unprofessional. You know, there's no there, there it's just very silly. And so I have two kind of working theories. One theory is that you know, she's just she's just trying to score points with folks on the periphery um, of the church because because a lot of not a lot of fo- folks, but certain amount of folks at our, at this church are upset that we're not like doing a lot of things and they forget that we've never done a lot of things. What, what we used to do is we used to have self-indulgent get togethers where we all felt good about each other and we don't do that anymore because of COVID and they're really upset about that. And you know, Anna at her church is like, oh yeah, we'll, we'll do it whenever you want. And so she's sort of like, like she'll drive like different folks who are connected to our church who maybe don't have cars like around, which is great. That's good. I'm glad that we're, people are able to meet their needs, but they're, she's like campaigning, right? you know, for them to come in. Well, so that's one thing that's happening. But here's the other thing. These very wealthy folks who like her, who like want her to be like on lists and, you know, all this stuff, they're not leaving the church. They're not going to le- go and join her church right. because, because their names are literally scrawled into the wall of this church. Right. You know, they're not going to do that. And so today during the meeting I had before you, they, the person I was meeting with was like, is there any possibility that Anna could be the pastor here? And I was like, I mean, the only actual possibility that wouldn't require her Anna to like give everything up would be if this congregation stopped being a United Methodist congregation. Um, you know, but that would require lots and lots of time and lots and lots of money and would be a tremendously stupid idea. Yeah. I mean, they'd have to buy their building back from the conference. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like buy their building back for the conference, secure new nonprofit status, secure new insurance, you know, do overhaul the entire thing. You know, it, it would just be all, all for what? All for her to be the pastor? Like it would just be it would just be silly. Um well, I kind of think that might be the end game though. Oh, um, to to these to these couple of rich families that really want her to be a part to to be the pastor. Um, I think the the idea and and mostly it's because I just don't think enough people know what the hell's going on. These are the people that are butt hurt that they couldn't just make Anna the pastor, you know, by fiat. Um, and so of course they don't understand what they all have to do to not be United Methodist anymore. Right. But like I kind of think that's the end game. And at my council meeting next week, when when I I'm going to be bringing the list of we have like a checkout list, like a list of people who have keys. Mm-hmm. I'm going to bring that list to council, and I'm going to start naming names. You know, be like, who's this person? Anybody know this person? 
Uh, no. Okay. Well, they have a key to our church. Who's uh, this person? Anybody know that person? Oh, uh, yeah. He, that person joined the Baptist church down the street. Yeah. That person has a key to our church, you know, like, like, and I'll just, I'll just start naming everybody and I'll bring up that Anna was found in the church and we know that. And Colette's going to come and talk about stuff like being moved around or taken or whatever from the office. And uh, we'll see how that's responded to because we need to change the locks. And uh, I have a, I have a feeling uh, that that's not going to go over well. I mean, it's not going to go over well in general because people want their own keys. Um, but I don't know if that's going to go over well with like me just naming Anna. Right. Being like Anna has a copy of both the key to the church and a key to the office. We know she does. We know she does because I see it on this piece of paper where she signed it out in 2018 and never returned it. And so we get to change the lock so that she and others don't have copies of the keys. Well, what if we want Anna to have a copy of the keys? <laughs> and so on and so on. Yeah. So it's uh, nonsense. It's silly. Um, but uh, that is what's happening. Well, so I want to push back. It's not nonsense. I mean, the way the way things are gonna have have been gone about are is not the the correct way by the discipline, nor the most honest way, nor the most straightforward way. But like everybody had a reason for everything they did in this situation, right? That's true. That's true. Um, it, and it's not again like <laughs> you you did not um, take this appointment with the with the intention of spending all of your time dealing with this nor were you informed about any of this as you took this appointment um and so like it is this is not the the use of your time that you want to spend on it and this should not be part of your job right <laughs> like right. It, it is it it is ridiculous but yeah i so let me back up and ask you um how you're feeling about the fact that rich, influential people in your congregation would rather have somebody who is not really associated with Methodism at all instead of you as their pastor. Like, how are you feeling about them just wanting a whole other pastor? So I, for me, I, I'm not taking it very personally. Um, I think I would take it more personally if this was like at Pennsylvania, like, like my first church. I just have a very different relationship with this appointment than my first appointment. Um, but I'm not taking it personally um, for a few reasons. Well, those are the reasons why I don't take it personally. The, the other thoughts and feelings I have about it are um, relatively straightforward. Like I, I find it to be uh, really misguided mm. um, on one hand. Like, like I think it just, I think, and I said this a little while ago, like, it sort of betrays an entire lack of understanding of the way any of this works. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. right. Like these are people who have been cradle Methodists since their grandparents were Methodists, you know, like, like that's why they, that's why they're not leaving this building because this is their building and they have no clue how any of this works. I'm, I'm sort of shocked by that, but whatever. And the other feeling I have, is um, something that I've been saying off and on for a few years now. It's just just how much um, American Christians hate the church. 
just just how much like ecclesiologically you know like like i hate i hate the institution we all do but i don't hate the church ecclesiologically you know like like i want the church to be the church you know <laughs> i right. want the church yeah. i want the church to live into its calling as the church and i think so many american christians hate that like i think so many american christians resent the fact that they are um when they join a church or when they're a part of a church, they, they are not, it, it's not that they're, they're not a part of the church in the same way that they're a part of the Kiwanis club or the, or, you know, like, I think it, I think it frustrates them when, when the church insists on its responsibilities or it insists on its calling, you know, the rare times it does that. Right. Um, and, and when it says, now that you're a part of this church, you belong to each other, mm-hmm. you know, and, and the rare times it does that when, when that happens, so many American Christians grate up against that and resent that because no, you know, the church belongs to me, <laughs> right? you know, it's not the other way around. And, uh, and I really see this here, you know, a, I don't mean to equate, the church ecclesiologically to Methodist piety, Methodist polity. Like, I don't mean to do that necessarily, but like the idea that this isn't what we do um, bothers so many people. Like, well, why can't I just have the pastor I want right now? Right. Because that's not how it works. Well, it should, it should work that way. No, it shouldn't. I mean, that's also not how it would work in any church anywhere. <laughs> like right. even, even not United Methodist churches, even non-Episcopal churches. Um, yeah. Like there's a long hiring process. It's not, you wake up one day and say, yes, I'm going to hire this person. Like there are background checks. There are, there are all sorts of things required. You, you have to really intentionally do this and decide to do this. Um, yeah. No, but you're absolutely right. Like, I, 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 I'm astounded that these cradle Methodists have no idea how Methodist polity works. Even people who I assume have been in leadership, who I assume have been served as SPRC people. Yeah. Uh, people maybe who have even been like a representative to annual conference. <laughs> like, yeah. who've done this all their lives. Um, and just have no idea that like, that's how it works, but also that they just don't have that understanding that like, this is how we've agreed to be together and, and you can argue with it and we can fight over it and we can figure out how to work with it. And, and those were all good and holy things to do, but you have to know how we've agreed to live together. And, and the fact that they have no idea, like, I, yeah, I'm just floored, but I also think you're right that like, they don't really want the church to be the church. They want the church to be the Kiwanis club. They want something that they have control over that they feel that makes them feel good about themselves and makes them feel like they will continue to feel good about themselves in the world beyond this one. Right. Right. Um, it, uh, no, I, I, yeah, I think that's true. And I think this story just is really reflective of that, of that long ethos. Right. And, and that's something we tend to associate with evangelicals, but it's really, it's really everybody, you know, like there's, there's always that frustration, you know, that the church, uh, the church demands something of us and it does, it makes a demand on us. 
and and sometimes we can't make that we can't abide by that demand and we have to back out but i think that's like the difference between like maybe you and i and and some other folks like for me if the church ever made a demand on me like like that i just could not handle that means that i'm not a part of the church right now mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that the church is wrong necessarily it could it could mean that but that doesn't that that's not the immediate thing like if the church makes the demand that we you know practice holy conferencing um and and which it does the methodist church does make that demand and it's a good demand it's an important demand you know and and i am just not able to practice holy conferencing with people for whatever reason that doesn't mean i show up yeah you know it means i don't show up (laughs) it doesn't mean i show up and demand that the holy conferencing happens the way i need it to happen like it means that i don't show up for the holy conferencing it means i'm not a part of it um and uh yeah those are my feelings about it i i like i said i'm not i'm not hurt really you know i'm frustrated and annoyed by the whole thing because what a waste of time yeah. You know, man, what a waste of time. But like <sighs> I've I've always wanted to facilitate a church that runs misguided into leaving a denomination. <laughs> and and so like I'd happily do that. Like I'd happily be like, "Oh, you guys don't want to be Methodists anymore because you want to hire this this lady to be the pastor and and that's just how it is." I mean, okay, like I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if you guys are going to like it, but you can you can do it if you want. Uh, and she's, you know, and, and the thing about Anna is that I don't really know her very well. I've heard different stories, of course, but like you do not want a pastor who has this disregard for boundaries. I think that's really true. Yeah. You know, I she everybody says she's a great preacher, and certainly folks really like it that that she's visiting them when I can't. You know, whatever. Like, but but you don't need a pass. You don't want to pass with, with so little disregard, with so little regard for uh, boundaries between people and ministry and churches. Like, who just who just just goes all in, does whatever they want uh, because they want to do it. You know, who says, this is the congregation I want to pastor in. Oh, well, it doesn't work that way. Well, I will make it work that way. Like, oh, come on. What a mistake. What a mistake. You know, this is this is how power-hungry weirdos become pastors. Yeah. Yeah. And, and also, you would think that... Um given given the complications with the previous your predecessor at the church that they would be a little hesitant about um uh, about jumping I've, in with yeah. both feet with somebody else who who maybe doesn't have uh the standards or or the professionalism i think professional is probably the best word here um and also somebody without like the full understanding of 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 how a church runs. I mean, I, I don't know what training Anna has, so maybe that's, I'm, I'm out stepping outside of my, my boundaries there, but 
gosh, I you know, like you'd think they'd want to be very careful and very thoughtful. But but then also hearing that um, that Anna left before your predecessor or as your predecessor came in. Um, and, and I assume that your predecessor probably didn't do a lot to like do any healing with that or no. to, or to work with Anna. That's, that's such a big thing to have a church be like, well, we really want this person to be our pastor. We don't know how to go about doing it, but like, that's what we want. I mean, I honestly think that like the district superintendent would jump at that <laughs> and be like, oh, you, you have a candidate. Okay. Like let's get her in the system. We want people in the system. Now, if Anna has some resistance to becoming uh, ordained at any level or, or even like just given a license as a United Methodist, but like she would be a great licensed local pastor candidate. Like they would eat her up as long as she could do, wouldn't mind doing licensing school, you know? Okay. Um, gosh. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wish I could go back in time and see how that, how that situation happened. Something similar happened at my home church where, um, a Sunday school teacher guy, uh, a big following of people who just really liked him and, and thought he was charismatic and liked his teaching. And, um, they, like, we ended up having a bit of a split and a bunch of people went over to his church and I don't necessarily know how the pastors handled it because one of the pastors at the time was the, the pastor who's not the Wesley Covenant Association, who I like to blame things on. Um, but uh, yeah, like, now like things have settled down and and he has his own church and like sure he poached a substantial chunk of the membership but like the church is still going on now it's a much bigger church and this happened not now <laughs> this happening now is kind of a kind of a deal but gosh yeah i i wish that you could have just come in and said the locks need to be changed well before any of this happened. Like, I know it, it, you've had ongoing conversations about that, but like from, from the first week of this appointment, we've talked about the locks on this church. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. So we'll see what the resistance is like. Like remember the resistance I got for the first week of my appointment was mostly a dismissal. You know, yeah. it was mostly, ah, it's not that big of a deal. Also people like their keys. So it's not that big of a deal. Um, and so we'll see what kind of resistance we get this time. Cause I think that a lot of that dismissal will be impossible. Mm -hmm. You know, if people are just, if people are just in the church when we don't know who they are or, or whatever, then that's a problem. But I do wonder if this will be an occasion for, um, you know, this nonsense, right? Like if, if folks will be, if, if folks will, will stand up for Anna or Anna, right? Yeah. And, um, and how that'll go. I'm really, that for me, you know, I like, I like the money, but like, I'm not gonna, I have no problem with quitting. You know, I have no problem. Like, like if for some reason I've misjudged this movement, cause I think it's, I think it, I don't think it's terribly, I don't think it's a terribly wide movement, you know. Mm. I think that I think that there's a couple of powerful people that want this to happen, but I also think that they're not terribly powerful people anymore. Um, they're just rich, and so like, if but like if I've misjudged this whole thing, and everybody's like, wait, we can have her. Oh well, what do we need to do to make that happen? Then I will be like, great, you know, if this is really what you guys want. 
well, I'm, I'm not here to stop you. Yeah. You know, I'm really not like, do it, do it. If you want to do it, that's fine. Whatever. It's going to suck. I, You're going to yeah. hate it. They're going to go into so much debt. Um, and then also like, are they going to pay her a different salary than they're paying you? Like, how are they going to, how are they going to work out supporting her? Uh, maybe, uh, I don't know her financial situation. Maybe she's independently wealthy and wouldn't take a salary and that solves all their problems. But, oh gosh. Yeah. I, um, man, I, part of me wants to like, I, I want to travel back in time and see how this started, but I also want to like sit down with the people who want to make this happen and talk numbers and see like, a, like if we're committed to this goal, what were you thinking? And then like, bring Anna into the conversation and say, like, if we're able to do this, is this sustainable for you? Because I, I, it feels like from the way you're describing it, a lot of people are acting on emotion here and they're primary, yeah. primarily driven by these hurt feelings at this time for, for whichever reason or, or this affection that came out of this or that moment. And, um, and feelings are important and feelings are good indicators, but this is a lot of money to be playing with, to be based primarily on feelings. You got to balance, got to balance it out. Got to figure that out. And then all of this is happening while you're like <laughs> doing many other things, right? Like, and the church is not your main priority and they need somebody who like, who can spend all of their time talking to all of the players involved in deep and long and complex conversations. And even then, even after all of that, you might still end up with a compromise or, or a solution that like not everybody's happy with. Like this, this could be a big turning point where you just lose a chunk of people and then have to figure out your finances again from there. And I, I hate when stuff comes to a head like this in one way it's good because you're clearing up this issue that's been in the background and you had to go through it at some point, but it's always a, when a rain's a poor situation, right? It's always that right. like the new doors get installed at the least convenient time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and so that's, what's going on. There's, I, I don't have a ton more really to say about it uh, except you know, it, the the small town politicking is definitely strange, um, yeah. and I still I don't I don't know if I understand how it's worth it. You know, after it, let's say all the plans work, great. So Anna is the pastor of a twenty five person church, former Methodist church. In a small town in Virginia. Cool. You did it. Okay. You know, like, like there's nothing, there's nothing that happens then. Like it's, I guess, I guess the Virginia annual conference takes a loss, but certainly not a financial loss. Right. You know, the, the, nobody comes out looking good. Yeah. Um, so Gosh. boom, boom city. <laughs> yeah yeah man what a what a bonkers situation gosh this is this would just make a, a fascinating case study in seminary <laughs> like for all like for all that we dealt with um 
a lot of like complicated issues and a lot of like important boundary issues. I think this is something that like somebody might bring up as an example in class and be like, well, you know, what if somebody wants to leave the United Methodist Church because they want somebody who doesn't want to get ordained in the UMC as their pastor? Like, what would that look like? What, how would we handle it? What would we do? What do you do when there's a coup at your church? <laughs> and, right. <laughs> and I think a professor would be like, oh, I like that happens, but you would, you would never have to deal with this and you wouldn't have to deal with it by yourself. So don't worry about it. Um, and maybe they wouldn't be that dismissive and maybe we'd really get into it, but it does feel like this is not something that we would have dug into. Um, yeah. Have you talked to your DS at all? No, there's nothing to say. <laughs> I mean, I guess there's stuff to say like, like the DS can't like come in and do something about Anna, you know, that's true. And, but it might be worth, um, seeing if there's anything in like, I don't know, conference district notes and conference notes aren't very thorough all the time, but if there be some type of institutional knowledge of, um, uh, of how those conversations went about trying to get Anna to be the pastor, um, and how the conversations went about appointing your predecessor, um, and just trying to see if you can like gain any insight for uh, for if there is um, some deeper motivating factor behind all this, or if like or if Anna is really the motivating force behind it, and that um, and that like that's really the where you need to focus your efforts is in figuring out how to answer the Anna question, and maybe the the answer is that you facilitate them leaving the UMC, but like that will also <laughs> require you to have a conversation with your DS. <laughs> So. Right. Well, then, then I'd have to do that. They want to leave. <laughs> you know, maybe he'll be like, you know what? Fine. Yeah. Fine. Help him leave. We'll get you another appointment. <laughs> yeah, sounds good. Lord. Oh, Lord. What a well, th time. <laughs> that is, that is a fun time. Uh, should I sign us off? Yeah. I have a mini set idea. So sign us oh, off perfect. for this episode. Yeah. Friends, thanks for listening. This has been an episode of What the Hell is a Pastor? We are Ethan and Joe, and we will see you next time. What the Hell is a Pastor? is a part of the Disruptive Disciples Podcast Network. Our theme song is written by Joe Schomolf, performed by Joe Schomolf, Ian Uriola, and Paul Uriola, and produced by Paul Uriola. Email us at wtheckisapastor at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash disruptordisciples, on Twitter at wthisapastor, and on Patreon at patreon.com slash wthiap, where you can get access to pillow talk, signed cards, episode suggestions, and so much more. Thanks for listening, and pour one out for Betty White, friends. Prophet, preacher, <laughs> sermon leader. <laughs> servant, servant leader. <laughs> Why would I say sermon leader right after preacher? I don't know. Oh, God.